welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Uh, today's movie, Craig picked, it is a request, a long-standing request, I think, from our listener named John. Uh, this is 1986's Rawhead Rex. It was uh, one of the few movies directed by George Pavlo, and it is a screenplay written by Clive Barker, a name you might know. My understanding is that uh, George Pavlo and um, Clive Barker did work together on a movie before this, probably, I think, one of his first forays into cinema called, uh, in the U.S., I think it was called Transmutations, but in uh, was originally called Underworld, and I guess that went well enough that they decided to uh, collaborate on Rawhead Rex, which I believe, and you would know more about this than me, Craig, but uh, because I know you're a big um, Clive Barker fan and you've read yeah. a lot of his stories. Um, he, it was a story in one of the books of Blood, right? Mm-hmm. One of his debut series of, of, of um, books of short stories, right? Yeah, uh, the third one, yep. Okay, have you read the story that this was based I, on? I ha- I know that I have, because I've read all of the books of Blood, but I don't remember it, and <laughs> as you know, this will come as a huge surprise to our regular listeners. We picked this movie at the very possible last second, um, <laughs> and uh, my copies of my books of blood are at school. Uh, I would have liked to have reread it, but I couldn't find it online, um, and I, I don't really remember it frankly uh, but I do, I know that I've read it at some point I was trying to do some quick internet research seeing you know what the major differences were and and apparently you know Barker wrote or yeah Barker wrote the screenplay himself and so apparently as far as plot character and setting are concerned it follows the story very closely um but Barker, one of the things that he's most known for is the element of sexuality in his books uh, and short stories. He's a dark writer, and, and so uh, the, the, the sexuality that he weaves in often has dark elements to it. Uh, I, I mean, if you're familiar with nothing of Clive Barker's aside from the Hellraiser series. I mean, even the Hellraiser series, you know, is full of sadomasochism and um, tons of sexual suggestion and stuff like that. And that was uh, intended in the story and intended in the screenplay, but was toned down a lot by the filmmakers because this came out at the height of the video nasty phenomenon uh, in Europe. And so they were really afraid of having the film censored or or blocked entirely. And so they toned a lot of that down. And ultimately, Barker was really, really disappointed um, in the way the movie turned out. Yeah, my understanding was he was so disappointed that that's what kind of um, drove him to take more control over his next project. And he ended up... Um, I think his very next project was taking the reins as director for Hellraiser, right? Right, yes. And that mm-hmm. worked out quite well for him. <laughs> I read a quote uh, that he did. I think it was about a year after the movie was released. I believe it was released in the UK, theatrically limited, uh, had a very limited release in the US, and then pretty much went straight to video the same year. At a time when things didn't go straight to video as fast as they do now. <laughs> right. 
And he said, uh, I think, generally speaking, the movie follows the beats of the screenplay. It's just that monster movies, by and large, are made by directorial oomph rather than what's in the screenplay. I'd like to think the screenplay for Rawhead Rex had the possibility of having major thrills in it. I don't think it was quite pulled off. Uh, and he even said that he wanted to do a remake of this. I think it was like in the 2004, he said he wanted to do a remake of it. it mentioned it in some interview, but nothing's really come of that. I have to say that while I was watching the movie, I thought this could have been a pretty interesting, good movie. Uh, it does seem to have all the elements of a movie like, uh, I don't know, I don't know why I was thinking Pumpkinhead um, yeah. that was coming to me. There's the little bits of the omen. It, it does follow that sort of, um, oh gosh, there are allusions to other films in here. Don't Look Now is kind of referenced in this movie, Yeah, oddly enough. But it, it also made me think of The Wicker Man. It made me think of a lot of pagan folk legends come to life, uh, this type of thing, right? Right. You know, it's a common theme, and it's something that we welcome in our horror movies. It's it's ripe territory for thrills and chills, and I felt like the movie did a good job of mining that and hitting all the beats that I would expect in a horror movie like this. Mm -hmm. There's some ancient monster that's awakened, and it starts wreaking havoc, and there's some religious element to it. Uh, there's some somebody kind of who knows a little bit, but they've kept it hidden. Kind of the deep, dark secret of the town that's long forgotten or maybe just protected by a few people in the know. And then, you know, they have to unravel that mystery in order to find out how to, how to send it back to where it came. And for that, I thought the movie could have been effective. The problem is, it, I just don't think it was very well made. No. Some of the... Acting is really over the top. It's a little slow. It gets very laughably melodramatic at points. Yes. And, of course, like, I think it's gotten the most criticism for the absolutely awful creature costume mm -hmm. that apparently they only had four weeks to put together, and it shows. Uh, <laughs> and, again, it could have been really good, but it just looks terrible. And that is so distracting, I think, that it's hard to take it seriously. And it just comes across as a schlocky monster movie. You know, it probably, like like Clive Barker said, I'm, I'll bet the story's better. Um, I, I read a little bit. We'll probably talk a little bit more about the difference between the this, this story and what, you know, this his screenplay. But I also feel like the screenplay itself probably could have been a better movie if it had been in better hands. That's what I was thinking, too. I felt like this was an example of you're given really good material and then you just don't execute it well. Um, not to say necessarily that the script or the screenplay is perfect or amazing. I, I don't think that it's Barker's best work, but you do see some potential. Um, all of the things that you said, the, the melodramatic acting, especially from some of the smaller characters, and, and especially the creature design, you know, I'm sure the sketches for it looked great, mm -hmm. but uh, it, it just wasn't executed well. And, and, you know, that's as a result of time constraints and, and budgetary constraints, which I'm sympathetic to, but it just doesn't work. I mean, it looks like... A guy in a suit. It looks like a guy in a suit who can't see out of it very well. He kind of yeah. stumbles around a bit, right? <laughs> well, and I, I, yeah, you know, I, I was talking to Alan last night, and I was like, you remember when we were kids and every Halloween that store would pop up in the mall? 
the Halloween store and there would be those masks up on the top shelves that kids couldn't reach that would sell mm-hmm. for like three, four hundred dollars. That's what this awesome. looks like. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they did look awesome, but they were just masks. Like there's yeah. there's, no there's no articulation movement. or movement. Yeah. And uh, that's what this looks like. It looks like a good expensive Halloween mask. <laughs> but yeah. but not a movie costume. No. And and you can almost see the points in which it attaches to the rest of the body. <laughs> For some reason he's kind of in armor, but the whole front of his chest is open and exposed. It's almost like you can practically see the seams in this thing. And then oh, yeah. when it when it runs <laughs> when it runs, he's sort of hopping along. <laughs> Yeah, it was once one scene in particular where he runs after somebody, and I almost fell out of my chair laughing because I was like, "When did he get this kind of like happy gait to himself? This monster!" Well, and and when he runs like that, you can see the rubber mask jiggling, bouncing around. Yeah, it's so funny, <laughs> and it should be cool, right? It, it actually, it reminded me of what was that other movie that we saw uh, that was. It was about a comic book. Oh, yeah. It was like a Tales from the Crypt. Was it also based on a Clive Barker story? I can't remember. It, it starred the guy from Reanimator, and it was uh, about, you know, he was a comic book artist whose comic book drawing came to life. And I remember in that movie, we were talking about it, we were saying, like, you know, in the fight scenes and things, you didn't get really good glimpses of the monster. But then it was like they had a day with the mask where they would just film a whole bunch of close-ups of it snarling and looking left and looking right. And although you do see a lot more, unfortunately, (laughs) you do see a lot more of this monster full size on the screen running around and doing things, there's an awful lot of that. And it looks so cheesy to have this almost immobile mask in your face with very limited articulation, trying to look snarling and menacing. And it also has these like sort of light-up eyes that are supposed to look like they're glowing, but it really just looks like there are little lights twinkling behind the eyes. The (laughs) eyes were so weird because it was like they glowed red, but they also like it was like a red light circling around his pupil. Yeah. It it reminded me of like when you're waiting for a web page to load and there's a little circle that goes around and around. (laughs) Spinning around. That's what it looked like in his eyes. And it was weird. It was a deliberate (laughs) effect. Like they used fiber optics to do that. But I mean, it's unnatural. Of course, it's a supernatural creature, but it just it doesn't even work as a supernatural creature. It just looks like some very constructed, very bad special effects. Right. And in the hands of more skilled filmmakers, I feel like these are all things that could have been worked around. Mm-hmm. If, if they would have shown less of the monster or, or done more from the monster's perspective, which the story mm-hmm. I read is in part told from the monster's perspective. So they could have done more monster POV. You know, this monster is running around like biting people's faces off and biting people's necks off, but its mouth is just this big open toothy maw that doesn't move. So, uh, I mean, it, it just really takes you out of it. Yeah. I was looking forward to watching this. Like you said, it's a longstanding request it's kind it's infamous it's you know it's something that we've talked about before and so i thought you know 
it's it's going to be schlocky, but maybe it'll be, you know, uh, so bad it's good kind of thing. Maybe it'll be funny and fun. And in some ways it was, but it just didn't go far enough. Yeah. It just lost something in translation. And, and, it, and it ultimately just became a standard almost – I don't think it was lazy, but it feels lazy – monster movie and and i read barker said monster on the rampage stories are about the phallic principle Mm. large males run around terrorizing women now the gag only works if you understand the subtext otherwise it's about this dumb monster running around i couldn't get them to understand the whole movie had to smell of sex when this thing appeared you had to think it was a dick but they didn't get the joke and it was a joke. That was the point. He meant it to be satire. And they played it straight. Ultimately, it just didn't work. And like I said, I was looking forward to it. And so I, I thought, you know, I, I've been gauging things a lot based on IMDb user reviews. Because uh, I feel like mm-hmm. people are honest one way or another. Uh, right. They either love it or they hate it. And a lot of the reviews were very positive, saying, you know, it's a monster movie. It's fun. It's it's way underrated. And then I watched it, and I was disappointed. It's not – we've seen worse. Um, we've seen much, much worse. Yeah. And, and I can also see how if we had seen this movie when we were kids in the 80s. Yeah, we would have enjoyed it. I think it. we would have thought it was fun. Yeah. Well, I kind of see what you're saying. It's not schlocky enough to be fun it kind of in a way is taking itself a little too seriously whereas a lot of the horror movies that we review that are schlocky and fun to make fun of and fun to laugh at they they have a sense of humor about them and so they kind of you know they almost openly admit we we know this is a dumb movie to make money so we hope you enjoy yourself one way or another and you know you sort of do but with this one it also like like you said these elements of what were a Obviously, the original screenplay and the original story, they poke through just enough. There's some disturbing elements here that kind of come out of left field, and it does make for an odd juxtaposition against the goofiness of everything else. I think what I read about the original story, like you said, he he was literally meant to be a giant phallus. Yeah. And there was a graphic novel version of this done, uh, I don't know, almost like eight years later, where it was, was, you know, drawn that way. And so it's supposed to be this, you know, kind of male chauvinism run amok kind of thing, mm-hmm. where this monster is just unrelentlessly and brutally kills all everything it comes across, has no problem killing children, and has no problem killing women and raping them, and uh, is quite, quite violent and quite brutal. But this idea of just male sexuality gone crazy, which obviously doesn't come through in this movie because A, it's been toned down, B, the imagery isn't there of the giant phallus is a little bit of it that you can you know that's kind of hinted at when they talk about this demon as being sort of an ancient fertility demon but it's it's almost a throwaway line yes and then there's a scene earlier in the movie when he neglects murdering a woman obviously because she's pregnant which is a little confusing um yeah i right uh you would think that then he would have no trouble doing that, but I guess sort of pregnancy disgusts him, or I guess something too feminine, right? Some something that exudes female power, maybe. It really doesn't read. It, it you doesn't know, like, read. I, I, <laughs> I, I didn't, I, I didn't fully get it, and I mean, it, it, it ties in in the end, but 
seemingly without explanation. Yeah. And, and and I feel like one of the main characters almost has to throw in a line to kind of try to explain what's happening, <laughs> but mm-hmm. <laughs> No, it's, but it it's just true. doesn't it doesn't read. And and yeah, I read that in the story, you know, uh the demon himself has this sadomasochistic hatred of women and that doesn't come through here if anything like i was in that scene where he spares the pregnant woman i almost got the suggestion that he was in some way sympathetic yeah to women that's what i thought like like that's the line i won't cross <laughs> you know like yeah i i can i can rip everybody else's faces off and i can there I, and there were some parts that shocked me now i didn't remember the story well enough uh, apparently in the story he murders multiple children um but uh he he does murder a child yeah in this movie and and i was surprised me too in fact when it when it happened i was wondering for a while did he really kill the kid or did he just take the kid and they're going to rescue the kid later no uh, he did <laughs> kill the kid but uh, again it's it's in the source material it's suggested but it's not suggested firmly enough to make sense <laughs> yeah well, there was even one other scene too there's a there's a younger there's a younger couple uh, who wander off into the woods and they're like making out like crazy. And she, it seems she keeps saying a couple lines like, "We need to talk," or "I want to talk to you about something." Yeah. And so I thought, oh, she must be pregnant too. And uh-huh. so you know that's going to come into play. And when they do run out, like the monster gets the guy and the girl escapes. And so I thought, oh, okay, that you know this is the through line here. But again, like you said, it, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense and it doesn't go anywhere. And we don't ever hear that she was pregnant. Right. And then he does kill women later, so yeah. it's not yeah. like he is only killing men. It's it's messy. It is. At the same time, it's a straightforward narrative. I mean, it's it's a monster movie. You know yeah. this this family, Howard, played by David Dukes, uh, who I recognized. I looked at his profile. The only thing that I remembered him from was the Stephen King original miniseries Rose Red, which I actually really enjoyed. Mm. He's a writer, I guess, and um, he has brought his family to rural Ireland because he's doing research for a book. Now, I, it, I was never really sure what if he's a, a writer of fiction or if he's a historian yeah, but he's he's interested in this church and kind of the relics in and around this church. And like you said later, he talks about ancient pagan sects that existed pre-Christianity in that area, and he's interested in that. But I mean, he just says that you know, like yeah. we don't we don't really get <laughs> any more information about it. But he's there with his wife Elaine. Uh, played by Kelly Piper. I wasn't familiar with her. And his kids, Robbie and Minty. Little, a little boy and a little girl. Minty. <laughs> it, Minty. It's so cute. In, in the beginning, in the very, very beginning, one of the very first things we see is this farmer trying to remove a stone pillar from a field. And it's just, it's a very odd, phallic, frankly, pillar yeah. in the middle of a field. We see him struggling with that, and then we see 
Howard at the church. And inside this church, we see that there is a stained glass win a stained glass window with an image of what will be the monster whose name is Rawhead. This is in Ireland, so I assume this is a Catholic church. And I just, it was bizarre to me to see demonic imagery in the <laughs> in the stained glass. Yeah. I'm Catholic. I've never been to a church that had demons <laughs> in in the imagery in the church. Demons with laser eyes. <laughs> laser eyes. Yeah, like the, the light shines through its eyeballs and these beams of light, you know, come through. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, he's in this church. He sees, you know, this image of the demon. And then we go back to the farmer struggling. And all of a sudden, these dark clouds start rolling in, and in his last-ditch effort to topple the pillar, he's actually successful. But all of this steam shoots up out of the ground, and then Rawhead just, like, bursts forth out of the (laughs) (laughs) arms in the air, roaring to the sky, you know, silhouetted against the, the sun behind the clouds. For a little while, the movie seemed fine. Like, uh, I, even to this point, I thought, all right, this is going to be kind of fun, you know? Yeah. I, 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 it didn't seem silly in, at this point. There was enough intrigue with the... Because it kept cutting back to the church as well, and the, there's the the vector... I don't know what a verger is, but... Uh, I don't either. I've never heard of that. must be a European thing. But anyway, yeah, the verger in the church. There's the pastor, and there's the verger, and he's like, you know, kind of looking back and forth, and he's looking at the eyes beaming out, and he just seems kind of shady. Mm-hmm. And then he he touches the altar. His name is O'Brien, and he touches the altar, and he has like a vision, like mm-hmm. like like a POV of, of maybe from the monster running through maybe the woods or something, m- moving through the woods. But then there's like a campfire in the woods or something. I don't know. It's very unclear. It's never explained. But the last thing that he sees is kind of just Rawhead's big open toothy mouth. Mm-hmm. And when it when it comes back to him, he laughs and looks like he's completely lost his mind, which yeah. apparently he has. <laughs> yeah. And again, this this really isn't explained, but uh, it it turns out. I mean, it, it it's projected, but it turns out that he's like a rawhead disciple now yeah. <laughs> for unexplained reasons. Who knows? Whatever. Howard <laughs> talks to Reverend Coot. <laughs> that was so funny. Coot. <laughs> it is such it, it's so like it's funny that Barker wrote this and I wonder what tone he intended because it just seems like such a throwaway joke. Howard asks O'Brien like, "Yeah, I hope so. I'm looking for a Reverend Coot." Uh, am I saying that right? Coot? That's right. But I'm not your man. I'm the verger. Oh, hi. I'm uh, Howard Hollenbeck. Declan O'Brien. Uh, tell me something. This, uh, this cootie wouldn't happen to be old, would he? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it, it seems like it's, like the joke falls flat in the context of the scene, but I felt like it was meant to be a funny joke for us, but mm-hmm. it kind of fell flat for us, too. Yeah. Ah, uh, man. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, then we see him and his family. They're staying at the local pub. And the very first time we see his wife, she seems like a total bitch. And yes. I, I thought that that's the character that she was going to be. And then beyond that scene, 
she just seems like a normal, fine lady. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. why she was introduced in that way for it to not go somewhere. And it reminded me of Hellraiser because the lead female in that movie is like a ball buster bitch. Yeah. And so I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, we're going to get that same kind of character and maybe she'll be villainous or maybe we'll be, you know, happy when she gets killed or is it but but then again like i said in that one scene she's complaining she doesn't want to be there they've been there for too long she wants to get out of there and howard promises her that they'll be leaving soon they've been there for a month and a half (laughs) like holy crap that's a long i mean vacation travel whatever that's long (laughs) yeah i mean i guess it's for his work but still um, and yeah, and then, the, and then immediately they're walking down the street and everything's fine and she's totally fine and they're like flirty with one another and oh they're like, they are full out making out in the street. Awkwardly making out full like on tongue and tongue sucking action. face. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's always so funny to me in these movies because maybe I just kiss different than other people. But it, it's, <laughs> it's funny to me when people go to kiss mouths wide open like ah here i come like (laughs) (laughs) right just like two open mouths like you know latching onto each other and then this tongue just moving around and and usually you know movies i don't know they kind of like they don't they don't make that last or at least it's got to be like you know if it's a passionate love making scene it's a little different but this is just they're making out in the middle of the road for no really good reason except they got some cute dialogue going, but it is uncomfortably long, uh-huh. and they are like sucking major face, and then that happens again later, and then you see it on a television screen later, and I thought, did Clyde Barker give the direction that just sex needs to drip off the screen, and this is how the director interpreted it? Because he got it totally wrong. <laughs> it, yeah, it's not sexy. It's weird. It's, like, I don't... I- I've never if if I if somebody came at me like that like I my instincts would be to back away like whoa wait a sec what you doing there buddy <laughs> let's slow it down a little bit right. oh god but anyway they are interrupted by this little short old woman in a red coat that looks mm-hmm. exactly like the red coat from Don't Look Now mm-hmm. and and she interrupts them and and walks by and the wife is like. She reminds me of somebody <laughs> like was was don't look now a big enough cultural phenomenon for people to get this reference. Well, <sighs> I don't know, man, but it like I thought that would be significant because she keeps saying stuff like that. Right. She keeps saying, oh, something looks familiar or I'm getting a funny feeling. And earlier he refers to, you know, when she's saying she wants to go. He's saying, well, don't you want to stick around and explore your Irish heritage? And, you know, this is the land of your forebears and things like that. I thought there was going to be something in her past that comes out or that some clue is going to come from her. Maybe she has some childhood memory of taking a trip there or or something. But there's nothing. It seems like there should be. It seems like there's something missing. Yeah. Based on the way the movie ends, it seems like there's something missing. Like there should be something about her. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, I don't not know. There. I skipped over the part where Rawhead kills a local and but then spares his pregnant wife. We already talked about it. Like yeah, the monster that's the kills first big he, kill. He, yeah, he kills the husband and then he rampages through their house and like chases the woman all the way upstairs and claws at her 
uh, abdomen, which reveals her pregnant belly, which he then just kind of gently touches, and then it cuts away. And we and another local finds her later, but she's like crazy. This was unexplained too. Like anybody yeah. who kind of sees and has a direct encounter with the monster is either so terrified that they are incapable of speech or they're affected in some way. I, I don't know. It, it, it's it's weird and it's unexplained. Did you also get the feeling that Rawhead was just as interested in making a big mess of, of the house? <laughs> yeah. As he was. There's an awful <laughs> lot of close-ups of him just like pushing things off the counter and, you know, like like he's a cat, you know, just like yes, shoving stuff absolutely. off the counter, stuff on the floor. Every scene he's in is like this. And then lots of close-ups of the aftermath, like spaghetti yeah. falling off the counter. Slowly. Like... <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Uh, really oh, is. God. We see him dragging the corpse of that guy that he killed through the woods, and then he stalks a mobile home park for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he's really into this mobile home park. This is where like, everything else takes place. Like, I, Yeah. Apparently in rural uh, Ireland there are whole communities of people who live in mobile homes. <laughs> like, very small I, ones too. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's the, like in America we have trailer parks and, and technically you know, those can be moved but when i say mobile home i mean the type that are are vehicles that are meant to be you know yeah. driven around and they're yeah. they're small i mean they're, they're very they're, small they're, I, I think of them for camping or or vacation and and you know fun you know that that's great but it seems like this is a community of people who live in these tiny little mobile homes but i, I know, thought it might whatever. be just a budgetary thing. They didn't have Probably. enough money for big ones. Yeah. Plus, they got to tip one over later, right? So they got to get a small enough one that they can tip over. I think yeah. it's a what Andy and Katrina who are sitting on a sofa um, about one foot away from Katrina's little brother, yeah. who turns out to be Sean, and he's playing army men, and they're absolutely sucking face just like the previous couple was, and uh, he gets pissed off at the boy for no really good reason. Cock blocking. That's it. <laughs> blocking. Yeah, basically. But like, what did he think was gonna? Did he just want the kid to just sit there while they like boned? Like, why like, are you in there? Like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Or why. why is he in there? Like, somebody needs to leave yeah, <laughs> if, exactly. if this is gonna progress. <laughs> well, they eventually do, and they go into the woods, and uh, it's the same sort of deal. We see some close-ups of the of the. Rawhead Rex's feet stomping a toy and dragging that body into the woods where he hangs it up and I guess is munching on it. Uh-huh. Sort of like an animal, I suppose. Or he's got to feed on this thing over time. And so they run eventually run across it and they run away and <laughs> as they're running through, I feel like, man, they wandered further into the woods than I thought. It takes them forever uh -huh. to, to run out. And as just as they're coming to the edge of it, Rawhead jumps out and gets the guy. But the girl doesn't seem to notice at first because she's holding his hand. And she runs towards towards this group of people who are now in the campground huddled around Sean, who has also seen Rawhead and can't speak. Um, and they're like, what's going on? What's going on? And she goes, oh, is it something uh, in the woods? Uh, and my, my uh, Andy. And then she, she holds up his hand and she's still holding on to his severed hand. That was funny. That was funny. Mm -hmm. Howard just happens to be taking a, 
a walk to get some air in the woods, and he sees Rawhead, like, standing atop a hill, just standing Mm -hmm. there. And then he looks away for a second, and he looks back, and he's gone. There are several people dead at this point, um, because they found the farmer... The, the first local he killed, and now Andy. There are several people dead, so a party of armed men are, like, searching the forest, and they find the bodies. And the next day, the police are investigating. Howard goes to the police station. What I saw wasn't human. I beg your pardon? At least, I don't think it was. It was very tall. I mean, it, much too big to be a man. How big? Eight foot. Nine foot. I really don't have time to... uh, I saw this. Just let me speak, okay? I saw it. And what's more, it saw me. This thing was watching me. It fixed me with these mean, burning red eyes. All right, I know how this sounds. Believe me, I, I know. But I saw it. Was this on the road? No, no. See, I was in a road. It was uh, uh, up a field. Cattle, then. You saw cattle. Oh, I know what cattle look like, for Christ's sake. Darkness can be deceptive. So he goes back to the church to talk to Coop. <laughs> Old Coop. <laughs> <laughs> Who he had previously asked to see the church records. And he's like, oh, I think that could be arranged. And then Coot says, no, sorry. Uh, for some reason, the church records mysteriously went missing. Sorry, can't help you, old boy. See you later. Yeah. And he did, like, he's like, oh, I, I guess somebody stole him. Like, he doesn't <laughs> like care. No like, no. Nah. Oh, well. No. <laughs> we weren't really using them anyway. Well, I mean, they, <laughs> the 12 people in our congregation knew who they are. It's probably all we need to do. <laughs> but then he runs into the crazy old O'Brien, right? Again. Yeah. Uh, who's just kind of, like, looking on menacingly. Like. <laughs> it's so melodramatic. He is. And and it's, it's funny to me because. Uh, O'Brien's character tag is that he just says F- all the time, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and it's and he he's supposed to be you know a vicar or a deacon or something I don't know, and he's always in the church. But when Howard goes back and he's like examining the raw head window and he translates some phrase there that says like death goes in fear of what it cannot be, which. Again, who knows? Seemingly significant, but never <laughs> referred to again. No. Nope. And, and then out of nowhere, like because he's Howard's taking pictures of the window with the Polaroid camera, and he turns around, and O'Brien is right there, and O'Brien just grabs his camera, throws it on the ground, and snatches it, and tells him to get the f- out. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and Howard's like, "What is your problem?" <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, it's hilarious. But then this kind of surprised me because Howard and his family go to leave town. I'm like, really? I thought he was like the main guy. And Elaine thinks that she sees Rawhead standing in a field, but it turns out it's just a scarecrow. The little boy from the forest, you know, draws a picture of Rawhead for the cops. So they're like, oh, maybe that Howard guy, maybe maybe he was maybe on to something. He must have been on to something after all. He said red <laughs> eyes. This kid drew red eyes here. <laughs> uh, but then the family, who appears to have been driving for a while. Right. In, in fact, they've been driving for so long that they're like, oh, it's too far to turn back because Minty mm-hmm. has to pee. And it's they've already gone too far to turn back. But it's also too far to wait to get to the next town so they pull over in this field 
So Minty can go pee, and she runs off behind a bush or whatever, and um, obviously, you know, we're thinking, uh-oh, she's in trouble because she's out there by herself. And and she screams, and her parents run, and it turns out that she had just peed on a dead rabbit and that scared her. <laughs> <laughs> but while the, the, the parents are tending to her, Robbie's in the car reading a comic book, and, and Rawhead shows up, and attacks him and takes him and and the dad sees it happen and the dad runs to the car and when he gets there they're both gone but there's there's blood and uh and a shoe and And again i was thinking oh they're not gonna kill the main character's kid yeah but they did they did yeah Yeah, he's he's, treated as dead. dead from here on out um which you know, he really shouldn't assume. Well, I guess he must have seen something we didn't, right? Because, you know, it doesn't... It's. I mean, it shows the kid getting attacked, but we don't see Rawhead, like, you know, biting into his jugular like he does for everybody else. Right, but it's possible right. that the dad saw that. Um, right. Anyway, yeah, so he's back yelling at the cops at the police station, and the cops are... Uh, sort of like, oops. <laughs> well, I just... That last scene, I thought it was really strange. I was like, I, I guess Rawhead gets around. Like, yeah, he gets pretty far <laughs> out there. Well, I mean, he's tall. He's got long legs. Okay. All right. You're right. Back back to the cops. <laughs> he runs with a spring in his step, too. You know, it's sort yeah, of like that's a true. marathon runner. Yeah. By the way, I saw an interview by the guy who played this. It was a German guy who didn't even who doesn't even speak any English. And he was only 19. A kid. Yeah. yeah. He was like 19 at the time. He was asked by some producer to come out for a movie where they needed a German, a person who spoke German. And he went out, but then they... They end up using him or not using him for something. They send him back. But that same producer called him back up for this movie. Uh, and he spent, apparently, a lot of time training just to be able to do the physical stuff. It's really mm-hmm. hard to believe that there's a 19-year-old, a, a tall 19-year-old kid um, in this costume. But uh, They wanted Peter Mayhew, but they couldn't afford him. Peter Mayhew was Chewbacca, right? Right, right, yep. Howard goes back to the cops, and they are actively investigating. And Howard's like... He's territorial, or I don't know. And the cops are like, okay, well, you know, we definitely are going to look into this, but we ju- we're just going to have to wait for him to show up again. And Howard's like, I'm not just going to wait. I'll, I'll just take care of it myself. <laughs> <laughs> While his wife is <laughs> yeah, quite un- unconvincingly in the corner. Actually, I thought his acting wasn't too bad. I liked his acting. He's not bad. He goes back to the church window again. And Crazy O'Brien gives exposition, like yes. the the most obvious, uh, bland exposition. He's like, "They buried him alive." What? The devil? They put him in the earth, deep down. They thought he'd die. You see, thought they could forget about him. But the dark ones come back. They always do. This window. Useless to fight. What does it represent? Nothing. The devil's won. Oh, well, that explains it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> and then Howard, you know, he's got these Polaroids, and he looks up at the window, and he had earlier talked to um, the pre, the father, <laughs> father, father Coot, <laughs> and. Uh, had asked him about, like you said earlier, this was when he was saying, oh, I'm investigating old pagan rituals and old pagan history and, you know, how churches had been built on, you know, things that were previously 
important pagan sites. So there's that implication that this church has some deep secret in its history because of its very existence uh, there in Ireland, right? And, of course, these mysterious stained glass windows, and he asks about those. He says, are they original to the church? He says, well, you know, they've, like, been rebuilt several times. The church has been damaged over the years, and they've been restored, so who knows? But there's one piece uh, in this stained glass window that has the demon in it where it looks like there's a hooded figure who's holding something up that's beaming light down on that thing and making that thing cower or whatever. And uh, it's just white. It's just a, a white piece. I thought it was like a stone or something, but he I did too. he figures out that there's a piece that was just put in the wrong place. And there's a piece that looks like, again, it's not anything that really shines any more light on this for mm-hmm. us, though. Mm-hmm. It's just, and that's another problem, right? It's like a little statue or something. Who knows what it is? It's just a little shape. He's like, that's it. That's it. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't help him. No. It doesn't help us because we haven't seen it before. We're not going to see it again till the very end. Right. It's like anybody's going to be looking for it and go, aha, that's it. No. You know? And, and he's just... like, there's something. There's something missing there um, that must be important. And then he's like, oh, here it is. Yep. That's something. Like, (laughs) (laughs) he even says, and I think that's even incomplete, right? He he seems to allude that there's even more stuff missing or in the wrong spot, but that doesn't ever come up again either. It's so frustrating. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, yeah. Randomly, O'Brien Coot touches the the altar altar and gets burned by it too. Now, did the? I, I guess that the burning powers of the altar must have only activated when Rawhead came out, like. The priest hasn't ever touched the altar. I don't know. Uh, back at the motor park, a tiny camper full of people <laughs> <laughs> is attacked and overturned. And they're like, was that an earthquake? <laughs> uh, some old guy sticks his head out the window and Rawhead drags him out and eats his face. And then this is kind of, I guess, the climax because like he he kills he kills a bunch of people he just goes on a rampage you know slamming them one at one at a time against the trailer biting their jugular pulls a woman out the window which conveniently tears her whole shirt off Uh so we get our requisite boobs in the movie yeah i mean just you know it's so silly it's it's ridiculous i mean it's it's so ridiculous it's funny i mean Mm -hmm. it it definitely made me smile i'm like get those boobs in there you know (laughs) i don't care how ridiculous it has to be just you know a full topless shot we got we got to have at least one of those (laughs) Uh there's an explosion there's decapitation the cops show up nothing seems to be where like you know some guy is shooting at him nothing seems to work you're yeah howard is convinced that the townspeople know something like they're hiding something Mm -hmm. which i think he's wrong like I, I yeah but like he just they don't seem to know anything he just makes this random speculation and that's why i hadn't thought of it but i thought that your comparison to the wicker man made a lot of sense because that's kind of suggested like there mm-hmm. is this something ancient there maybe some pagan sect or something and it would make sense if the townspeople knew something about it and and were kind of keeping secrets or were in on it in some way but it's not. Some memory or some legend, you know? At least a legend of the boogeyman you tell the kids or something no, like that. It's, yeah. it's just, it's just like a that. loose end. Well, then he attacks the cops, and 
they all kind of scatter, but he gets Inspector, was it Gissing? Yeah, Inspector the main Gissing. detective. And I was surprised because I thought, oh my God, they're going to kill the Inspector. That's interesting. No, he holds him up and then he stares at him with his little spinny, spinny glowing eyes. He seems to hypnotize him, I guess. And he drops him and one runs off. So it's just, there's an odd inconsistency of why he let him go hypnotized instead I just don't understand his M.O. Mm-mm. You know, he he's, he goes on these rampages and kills people. He avoids the pregnant women and just some random women at, at, from time to time. And then other people he kind of hypnotizes and lets go. You know, it, it kind of seems to allude maybe he has some grand plan or something like that. Or maybe he, he has uh, some more godlike powers than we give him credit for. So he's kind of like altering the future by doing this. That's the best I could come up with anyway. The detective does end up kind of helping Rawhead out later. But, like, yeah. did he foresee yeah. that? Like, is he just... That's what I mean, Is right? he planting just certain people to kind of be his minions? It's all very unclear. But we already know that O'Brien is, like, his minion or something. In the next scene, O'Brien <laughs> meets Rawhead in the churchyard... And Rawhead gives O'Brien a golden shower. (laughs) (laughs) This part, I was so, like, I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Is this really in this movie? I know, right? Because maybe whoever was behind filming this didn't, see i can't imagine how you can't this part was so like grossly erotic and sexual right and i kind of can't believe that they got away with it in 1986 yeah like now if 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 it were just gross out that's one thing but there is definitely an erotic element to it like oh yeah he kneels in front of him he bears open his chest Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, if I'm not mistaken, and I don't remember where I read it, but it might have been talking about the story that this was more of an supposed to be an ejaculation. Maybe they changed it to peeing for the movie. I, um, I'm, I don't know. Yeah, it really comes out of left field in this monster movie that somehow you got. I mean, you know, it's just, I, it was shocking to me. But again, it, it's such a dumb, big monster costume that it's hard to... Even the way that it's shot, like, I think that Coot comes out and, and sees this. So the way that it's shot... It's like from afar. From afar. It feels very voyeuristic. Like, mm-hmm. you've stumbled upon something intimate that you shouldn't be watching. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> And, yep. uh, you know... It, it's not at all shocking coming from Clyde Barker. Because Clyde Barker was is i don't know into some kinky shit yeah and uh i i know that you know this is a kink that some people are into and you know consenting adults you do your thing whatever you're not hurting anybody that's that whatever oh but it's so weird uh, but well it's kind of it's got like a baptism element to it yeah I think too. Yeah. yeah he he even says that o'brien says that later because coot runs inside the church and calls the cops and uh, Howard overhears because Howard's in the police precinct or whatever. So he hears the conversation. So he knows something's going on at the church. 
And then uh, Rawhead breaks into the church. O'Brien is just in there acting totally batshit crazy. I see what he sees. He wants you, you know. Wants to baptize you. You're out of your mind. No! I simply saw the light. Declan, you are one of God's teachers. God! <laughs> he is God! He was here before Christ, before civilization. He was king here. It doesn't care about you. When it's finished with you, what will it do with you? Kill me. I hope. Declan, for the love of God. Upstairs, fuck face. <laughs> yes, I get can't. upstairs, fuck face. I can't keep God waiting. <laughs> I also love how, in the middle of their conversation, which is happening, I don't know, like in a back hallway or something, or mm-hmm. in the basement, Coot just backs up and kind of randomly stumbles over some papers and looks down and goes, "Oh, the church records." <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh man. So I think that it. It is suggested that that gross urination scene is kind of, you know, a demonic baptism or or whatever. But they get back upstairs. It turns out O'Brien has completely desecrated and destroyed the sanctuary. A SWAT team arrives at the church (laughs) from this little village. But does nothing. Yeah. It just sits sits outside waiting. (laughs) and, And Rawhead walks out with a mangled coot in his arms and, like, holds him up above his head. And they're like, we can't shoot because old Coot might still be alive. We don't want to hit him. While they're standing there pointing their weapons, the hypnotized detective, like, siphons gas out of one of the cars or something and and dumps it all at their feet and uh, sets all of them on fire and blows up their cars. Including himself. I actually thought this was a pretty impressive scene. I think it took two days to shoot from what it said, but I was really impressed at how many people were actually on fire. In mm-hmm. this, uh, in this scene, including him, in, in which you know he he kneels down in front of him and goes, "For you, for you, it's all for you." It's so omen, right? It's just like the omen. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. That's true. I hadn't thought about that, but it. Feed. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of an impressive little scene from an effects, you know, standpoint. It was it's not. It's a it's a big deal to have all those people on fire. That's true. I mean, you can definitely tell that they're wearing fire suits, but whatever. I mean, that's still. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's impressive. Howard shows up. He finds all the carnage at the church. Um, right before he dies, Coot tells Howard, check the altar. And then he dies. Shouldn't Coot have checked the altar himself a long time ago? (laughs) (laughs) See what's burning his hand? (laughs) Right. So Howard, uh, goes into the church. He fights with O'Brien for a little while. Then he touches the, Howard touches the altar, gets burned, has, a vision of nothing just like blurriness yeah opens the altar it turns out the altar is this big box and he opens it and he finds this stone talisman that is vague like it it almost kind of looks like a buddha a little bit looks like a woman i think with a with an open belly or something yeah 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 Um, or vagina i'm not sure maybe but it uh it's not articulated i mean it's no. It, it kind of just look it's it's egg shaped with it's like abstract. Yeah, yeah, some some vague suggestions of a person. O'Brien runs away to tell Rawhead that he opened the altar and then Howard comes out and confronts Rawhead in the churchyard and is holding the talisman in front of him like he expects it to do something. In fact, he's talking to it like 
okay, buddy, let's 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 do something. <laughs> Anytime. Uh, yeah, Rawhead kills O'Brien, and nothing is happening with the talisman. And Rawhead, you know, hits Howard. Howard falls to the ground, drops the talisman. At which point, Elaine arrives out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. She picks up the talisman out of nowhere. Yeah. How would she even know what it was, where it came from? I mean, I guess yeah. in theory she saw it get knocked out of Howard's hand. I don't know. But she holds it up, and it opens up, and blue light comes out and like kind of starts attacking Rex. And this is very 1980s light effects. I don't know how to describe it. It reminded me of the effects from like Troll and some other movies we've seen. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's animated. Yeah animated lightning and lights and blue things flipping around i think some of it's animated some of it's probably some kind of like weird optical effect thing going on and that goes on for a long time and it you know it was big and impressive but it was also like super confusing yeah like like, what is happening what's happening like there's beams just going everywhere and then like the tombstones are lighting up and it's bouncing off the tombstones but then it's not and then then there's this cool like tracking shot where it's like we're following a beam of light as it's whizzing around through the tombstones and hitting him and all that but it's just it's just a big mess if there was supposed to be some kind of connection between the tombstones and the grave right and that's the thing because it's it's like it's illuminating these markers kind of all around the cemetery like almost like forming a circle or a semicircle or something and and then an apparition of a woman emerges for a second. Uh-huh. Doesn't really do anything. It just kind of matches what was in the... It was like a big, long, hooded figure with a red coat or something like yeah. that, right? Like a red, little red riding hood kind of person, kind of a... That matches what was in the um, stained glass window, I think. In the Maybe that was supposed to somehow be connected to the lady in the red coat from earlier, but if it was, I don't understand it. Yeah, and again, so does was there some secret knowledge that his wife sort of held? Was it, you know, f- that she recognized that that was familiar, that she knew to pick up this stone, that this thing kind of comes out of her as it's part of her heritage? Like, what's the deal? I, I just don't know. He yells out, it, it, oh, a woman. It had to be a woman. Yeah. Howard had said sometime earlier in the movie, again, it was like a throwaway line, but he was talking to Elaine when she was complaining about being there. And he's like, well, y- you should like being here. This is the homeland of your people. Mm-hmm. So yeah. is she like some sort of descendant of somebody? Oh, my gosh. It's just it's just so vague. that Nothing is explained. So many loose ends. And the light eventually kind of all comes together and comes down on Rawhead. And I actually liked these um, effects, but more for nostalgic purposes than anything yeah. else. It, fe- it, it no feels very 80s, but I kind of liked it. But then Howard picks up a shovel and comes towards it. And I'm like, no, do not interfere with whatever's going on. Like... But apparently that was a key element, was it for him to whack him with a shovel, I guess for good measure, mm-hmm. because it then the stone underneath him breaks. He's he's fallen, I guess, on a stone. It's almost like a an open grave mm-hmm. with a stone over it. And that breaks, and Rawhead falls down into it, and somehow the statue slips out of her hand at the same time and rolls in there with him, which I wasn't sure if that was going to be a good thing or a bad thing. But then... You know, all-knowing Howard just takes her in hand, by the hand and says, it's over now. It's all over now. And they walk out of the graveyard. Mm-hmm. I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure you understand what's going on here? 
Are you sure it's over? And also, what are we? Is somebody going to cover that up, or you know, what's gonna, right. what's going to go on? You know, a little unsure. And then we get the very end scene, which is almost just the obligatory horror movie scene where yeah, um, their son's grave is there, and the kid. I think it was the kid from the trailer park, right? Yeah, it is. is and it, it's 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 not their son's grave. It's Andy's grave. The oh, and mm-hmm, the Andy. boyfriend or. Andy whatever oh yeah okay so it's andy's grave so it's that kid it's the sister's brother or whatever putting flowers on his grave and as he starts to walk away the camera pans back uh, over kind of another grave and suddenly rawhead's face pops up yeah out of a, out of the ground right the end it was silly i mean it was a silly movie but in the long run i didn't hate it it was fine no, and we've seen much worse yeah and i could see God, all my, you know, stupid hypotheticals. But, you know, if, if you were getting together, together with friends to watch goofy horror movies, this would, you know, be perfectly fine. It's a popcorn movie. Um, there's, there's nothing to be taken seriously. You can't ask a lot of questions because you're not going to get any answers. If you're willing to just roll with it and just appreciate it for what it is, a schlocky monster movie... It's fine, and in certain environments and contexts, I'm sure it could be fun. If you're looking for something, you know, with substance, Deep. yeah, it, it's <laughs> this isn't it. But it's something that's been on our radar for a really long time. It's something that I've been really curious about. Mm-hmm. Um, and now my curiosity is sated, and so I at least appreciate that. Um, I am a fan of Barker. Um, I'm a fan of his his writing i'm a fan of a lot of his uh, other work in film and so the completest in me is you know satisfied to have watched this uh i i can't give it a glowing recommendation but it's not terrible and if you're curious it's only an hour and a half long so that's true i mean i would come out and say that if the monster had been better like again on the level of Pumpkinhead or something like yeah. that. If the effects have been better, that would that alone would have improved this movie by fifty percent. You know, we spent this whole time kind of talking about these little elements that are a little confusing where it seems like there is a dangling thread here or they're alluding to something that doesn't seem to go anywhere. There's a lot of that in this movie that really hints at a deeper mythology and maybe threads that could tie together. Whether they were intended by Barker and he just, you know, because it's a movie and not a book, you've got to kind of leave things, let things go sometimes, or whether just the ineptitude of, you know, the director. He wasn't on set for any of this. Nope. Barker had very little, almost no, no nope. creative. Yeah. He said no creative input after writing the the script. So you know, maybe those are things that just were in the wrong hands and could have been fleshed out more. I would say it is kind of ripe for a competent remake. I'd be interested in seeing this movie done competently. I would too, but I don't know if now is the right moment because these types of monster movies are not in vogue right now. No. They're they're being made, but they're being made on the cheap and going straight to video on demand, which is yeah. fine. I watch them. <laughs> I watch a lot yeah. of uh, these kinds of uh, movies and... and some are good and clever and creative. Most of them are crap, but whatever, that's fine. But I, I just don't, I don't see this finding a wide audience right now. I don't see this opening in theaters 
right now. Yeah. I think you're right, but I also feel like if you were to tone down the monster aspect of it and you were to focus on more of the Celtic, ancient, evil mystery, maybe the town is in on it. You know, maybe they mm-hmm. are kind of keeping it secret. Those kinds of movies are doing well now. That's true. You know? So I do wonder if you had a bit of that element in there and then you were just a little bit more judicious with the monster and the killings and things. Right. Find a good balance. Make it something more like Midsummer or Apostle, something like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, I could see how that would work. But anyway, yeah, I think I share your views on it. It's schlocky enough uh, that you could have fun with it in the right context, but it's not quite as fun as the intentionally humorously schlocky movies that we often review that are just, you know, uh-huh. they're just so silly that they're so such a joy to make fun of. Right, because they don't take themselves seriously, right? Yeah, this one, yeah, takes itself a little too seriously. All right, well, thank you again, John, for the request. We're so glad that you did that. If you have a request for us, please send it to us on any one of our mediums. You can just search Two Guys in a Chainsaw Podcast, and you can find our Facebook page, our Twitter feed, our website, twoguys.redcorningnet.com, and now our Patreon page. We currently have a Patreon campaign running and a growing community over there. Uh, if you're interested in supporting us and keeping this podcast going, please consider um, becoming a patron. And uh, all the details and uh, goodies are over there. All right, until next time, I am Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys and a chainsaw. Ah!